Pandemic pivots became a priority for many entrepreneurs in early 2020, but a variety of factors can influence a product change. In this episode, you'll hear from two business leaders, Yuande Massey, owner of Ornami Skincare, and Glenn Giovannucci, CEO of G-Form. This episode features a pre-recorded interview from our virtual entrepreneurship event in November. It's moderated by Katie Hemphill, Associate Director of the McCarthy's Venture Mentor Network, also known as VMN. This university-wide resource pairs student, faculty, and alumni-owned ventures with experienced mentors to help with business challenges. Hi, everyone. My name is Yoande Massey. I am a 2009 Husky grad. Uh, I actually went to the School of Criminal Justice and have since moved into business. I am, the name of my company is actually Ornami Skincare, and um, I am happy to be connected with the VMN Network as well as uh, Idea Ventures. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Glenn Giovannucci. I'm a 1983 graduate, business administration. I loved uh, being at Northeastern. I played on the hockey team when I was there. Greatest hockey team in NU history. We went to the final four, number three in the country. Putting a little help there for my friend, Coach Madigan. And uh, right, right now, I am the CEO of a company called G-Form. We make sports protective padding and equipment. Prior to that, I worked in senior level sales positions with uh, Puma, Adidas, Reebok, and uh, most recently a licensed company. I went there because I was running out of footwear brands. I went to a licensed company called Fanatics. So if you look up Fanatics, it's a, it's a big operation. And I was running a $1 billion business there. So uh, I'm happy to be here to work with uh, everybody. Thanks so much, Glenn. So to start off with Glenn, I'm actually going to go back to you. I'd love to hear more about your story, right? And how you kind of helped a business change what it is they were offering. And specifically, I'd love to hear, you know, how you came to the decision and what kind of data you used to make that decision. And Yuande, the same question is coming to you next. So when our uh, brick and mortar retail partners, think about Dick's Sporting Goods, close their doors in March, we had to find a way to produce other products or we would be in bankruptcy in 60 days. We were a, a very, and when I started, we were a very underfunded company. So uh, it was important to move quickly. So we started to research PPE products because they became you know, critically important in the market and people in the hospitals um, and, and uh, you know, throughout the country. So we didn't have the equipment to make face masks or surgical gloves, respirators, medical gowns, hand sanitizer which is very disconcerting. Our last option was face shields. We did not have a supply chain. So we basically had to will this to happen. And everyone on the senior leadership team contributed. The first week we started manufacturing face shields, we produced 1,500 and we were high-fiving each other. But the market was getting hot. Within 10 days, we were producing 250,000 per week and we're selling them at channels we had never engaged before. We figured out how to do it it wasn't easy. There's was a lot of a lot of mistakes because we we didn't have experience in those sales channels. But to date, we sold five million dollars worth of face shields to hospitals, nursing home, uh, government agencies like FEMA, CIA. But the best part, the one that I'm most proud of, is we created a production partner network. Which there were five other companies who were in our situation, basically going out of business. We hired five of them, and. Um, they helped us make face shields so we can meet the demand. As a result, we saved 250 jobs. So that was that was, you know, how we got going on the decision. 
That's great. Thank you, Glenn. And, and truly, thank you for your service during this pandemic. Uh, obviously, what it is you're making is crucial and we need it. So we very much appreciate it. Yawande, I know that, you know, you have a very different business and your story is very different. So I'd love to hear, you know, kind of the same uh, information from you. Sure. So originally, my company was selling hair extensions. We were known as Ornami Hair Inc. And I've always had a vision of having a diverse community of women that could have a custom experience with beauty. So the idea was to have four different hair types of a hair extensions that people could order. They would take a quiz, et cetera. Um, they were human hair extensions, so they were not cheap, but I just wasn't having that much traction with the business. And initially to invest in marketing, say uh, influencers, et cetera, was, was, was kind of expensive because you have to you know, factor in the cost of the product, et cetera. Uh, how I got into skincare, I always tell people was a bit of a mistake. It was uh, my boyfriend at the time. He picked up some shea butter while we were in West Africa. He was complaining about how it wasn't easy to use. I said, let me see what I can do. A good friend of mine, actually, she's a Northeastern grad as well. She came over and she, she tried it and she said, how much is it? And I was like, mm, I wasn't really expecting to sell it. I just kind of threw a number off the top of my head. She told people while I was at work and people just kept purchasing, right? So, um, but I was really tied to the idea of the hair extensions because that was my baby, right? So I would do pop-up shops and kind of sample the, the skincare just to see what the market was really after. And that was really what got the most, like people were just emotionally connected to it. I think there was something about the instant gratification of putting on as opposed to hair extensions, which required them to then go to um, find a hairstylist, et cetera. This was just such an easy, just like a mini vacation, right? So but what made me make this and to move completely into it was, first of all, the lifetime customer value for skincare and personal care was way more. The customer purchases every two to three months, whereas with the hair extensions, every nine months to a year, you know, my conversions was at least three times more the conversion rate with the hair extensions. And then my thought process was the brand awareness. I wanted people to leave reviews for social proof. They were much more prone to leave reviews for skincare than they were for hair, for hair care, because the price point was just such a smaller amount that you had more customers uh, in general. So that's pretty much how I made the decision. Those are the factors I kept in mind. Interesting. Thanks so much, Yawande. And just as a shout out, I am, I am a customer. I've left a review. Yes, you can find me on social for Ornami Skincare. <laughs> I highly, highly recommend the No Scrubs Exfoliator in particular. Uh, and I am a repeat customer. So you're right, you know, kind of about lifetime value of customers here. So Glenn, I'd like to bring the conversation back over to you and your experience here. Specifically, I'd like to hear about how you took over management of a small cultureless and failing company and quickly turned it around. So uh, when I was hired by board of directors, they told me all I really had was leadership. When I checked under the hood, I found out they were wrong and actually didn't quite know everything that was going on with the business. Uh, like we were operating month to month uh, with little cash to make payroll paid on, you know, get unpaid bills paid off. We had a sales team with no direction and no leadership skills. So within a few weeks, I fired uh, three VPs of sales, uh, hired new ones through recruiting from my own network, promoting from within, uh, which which people liked, and uh, stealing our direct competitors head of sales. Why? Because in any senior role, 
as soon as you start the new job, you're on the clock. You're on the clock. They're, they're checking you out. They're seeing what you're doing. And you need to show significant results within 12 to 18 months. What I try to do was build a leadership team and they embrace my vision for G-Form. Within two months, those sales VPs uh, took our sales rep total from eight to 40. Each hire had a specialty experience in their own channels. And we operate in uh, mountain biking or biking in general, baseball and soccer globally. Uh, and the result was incredible, You know, opening major global accounts and driving sales increases. Uh, prior to me arriving for 10 years, the company never messaged how the technology worked in our products. I mean, it's kind of elementary, I'm sure for everybody, but that's really what happened. So a small company needs to have strong messaging on all social media platforms these days. And we sucked at it really, it's terrible. So we worked together uh, as a group, rebranded our technology and call it, it's called it SmartFlex, then created concise messaging points that consumers would really understand. And uh, finally created an incredible content, amount of content that would demonstrate how our technology worked in action in each sport. So for example, think of a mountain biker crashing or a baseball player taking a high pitch to the elbow. Um, we were showing hero shots, you know, it didn't, didn't express what we were all about. So uh, another thing, you know, I can't, I can't tell you everything, but another thing I did was on my third day, I found out that there was friction between um, the woman who ran engineering at G form and the guy who ran production. She felt, and I believed that he was being difficult with her, borderline abusive. So I sat him down in my office immediately. He was probably the most important person in our company because he was the first employee, invented the technology, but he apparently used that as status to be difficult with my engineer. I told him I wouldn't tolerate this crap and, and not tolerate his behavior. Uh, suspended him, explained to him there would be no second chance. You do it again, you're out. I don't really care. Uh, no one person is bigger than the company. Uh, regardless of your title, everybody should feel safe at work. And that's a message that I was trying to spread. The word got around our building quick, uh, that I would protect our employees and eliminate the bad ones. Um, and the employees really hadn't seen anything like that. It's just true leadership. The last point is communication. There had never really been a regular cadence of town hall type meetings with all the employees. They were out of the loop. They came in, they kind of punched the clock, did their job and ran out at 5 p.m. And, uh, you know, you you're, in order to be a successful company, which I've been part of many successful companies, you need to you need to create that communication. So we created a monthly town hall and the employees eat it up right now. We're a small company and I told them my door is always open. So come see me when you want to, you know, direct contact with the CEO. And they do. I want them to know that I care about them and want them to be part of our success because you're only as good as your team. So, you know, those, those things, you know, I try to uh, condense it a little bit into, you know, how I tried to make, uh, you know, create a culture that worked and would, would, would back up uh, everybody on the team. So that's, that's what I got. Right. I really appreciate that, Glenn. And I appreciate you sharing examples, right, of kind of your success strategies, because I think that's really what we focus on. And in panels like this, we want to walk away with some actionable items. So thank you. Um, speaking of success, Yuande, I want to come back to you and your company, because I know, you know, you were talking about being really tied to the initial vision, right? You had to make this difficult decision, right, to pivot, which was going to benefit your business. And 
What I'm wondering is how did you define success when making this decision, especially because you were so tied, right, to that initial mission? And what kinds of resources did you use to make your decision, right? Were there, you mentioned mentors earlier, were there mentors or literature that came into play that really helped you make your decision? We'd love to hear more about that. So it definitely wasn't easy. I will say that I am lucky that I had a tribe of people around me that were honest with me. So my sisters actually had to have a come to Jesus moment with me where they're like, look, <laughs> people give the people what they want, right? So it was just, you know, look at, look at what people are purchasing, look at what people have the most emotional reaction to in which they feel something, right? Because a lot of what um, beauty and personal care is, is about a feeling. And what for me was defining success is when I did pop-up shops, how excited people were, how many orders I got of that and versus the hair extension. And what, and the thing that they mentioned to me is like, you know, you don't have to throw the hair extensions away. It just, you know what I mean? But focus on one thing, do that one thing well, and then maybe you can expand into other things in the future. But what for me was the, the success was, hey, are people buying? Do they recognize the brand? And do they actually know what we do? Because it was, people were confused. There was a lot, there was a lot more education around hair extensions. <laughs> it, you know, what does it mean? How do you use it? As opposed to body butter and body scrub. Do you know like that? They were, they were pretty well educated and it was such a small investment as opposed to hair extensions with $300 and then to apply them another three to $500. Like that's such a huge investment. So those are the main things. And then for resources, uh, I identified, you know, what my gaps were. I'm operationally, that's one of my skills, strategy. However, marketing is, is not one of my skills. So I was able to, actually your team, you know, your mentor network reached out to me and the resources at Northeastern postgrad, I mean this wholeheartedly, are phenomenal for entrepreneurs. It's just every kind of resource. If you reach out to someone, they can, they can help you. And I sent, and I'm like, Hey, I need help with marketing, you know, and also with supply chain, because I'm trying to figure out how to scale this thing. And they were the ones that asked me the, the tough questions and, and really pushed me and, and held me accountable, you know? So if I asked them, does this, is this in line with what my brand is, is representing? What do you feel when you see this logo? So I think it's really important to be really intentional about who you surround yourself with and what questions that, you know, how they're going to push you. I really appreciate that, Yolande. And I think some of the lessons learned here are give the people what they want, right? Customer discovery doesn't necessarily end after you have your first, you know, most viable product produced. So, you know, I appreciate your openness to continued learning, right? And kind of listening to, to the customers that surrounded you. I think the other lesson learned there is uh, it takes a tribe, right? To really get through what it is you need to and, and understand from different perspectives. It's so, so important to have a diversity of perspectives, right? When you're kind of considering um, these sorts of tough decisions. So I really appreciate that. Still kind of continuing on the success conversation, Glenn, I'd like to know from you, you know, how did market product and competition factor into your decision, right, to kind of change what your company was doing? So uh, the market was wide open in the face shield business because, I, I mean, I never even heard of face shields before we started making them. And uh, it was wide open because uh, uh, we, didn't, we didn't know, you know, who created face shields. We didn't have any idea who the competition was. It was literally the wild, wild west. How could we get product? No supply chain, no customer base. It was kind of crazy. So 
you really have to uh, rely on your team to continually drive and open doors and create opportunities. And we had the uh, we had a good reason to do it because we all would have been out of a job if we didn't get it done. So there was serious motivation. the The market was wide open because most of the products uh, that were in you know hospitals uh, places like that were made in China. So end users uh, reaching out because of the huge demand to China to get reorders on the products they currently ordered. It went from like a two week delivery cycle uh, to like a 10 to 12 week delivery cycle to get the Chinese product in into uh, the US and sometimes even more. So uh, that, was, that was the opening that we had because we were domestic to, uh, to, to get into the marketplace. Um, you know, we, we just had to take advantage of what was there when it was there because, you know, for example, we were selling face shields for like $4 a shield. Now you can buy the Chinese ones that are in for 42 cents. So it's, it, you know, it's been tough to compete, but thank God that the, our regular business is opening. So we're, we're slowly pivoting back and, you know, doing a dual path. That's really helpful and actually a great segue into my next question for Yawande here, you know, talking about kind of going back. Uh, have you ever considered going back after changing your business, right? Is it okay to kind of think through uh, continuing to rethink your business, right? And what you'll do with it? Oh, yeah. So in thinking about just skincare and beauty, the, like the total adjustable market is $800 billion by 2025, whereas hair extensions was $2.5 billion. You know what I mean? By 2025. So you're just looking at sheer numbers, even though they are both very incredibly competitive spaces. Um, the biggest thing that makes sense for me is I need brand awareness. So do you know, getting with my products are 25 to $50 now, as opposed to 300, just by sheer numbers, they're going to get into more hands. So the more that I'm able to deliver a good quality product, good customer service, the more likely they will be able or interested in trying something new at a higher price, at a higher retail value, because they know me, right? We've established ourselves. We have um, social proof in the market. So it would make sense to go back later. However, that's not necessarily, you know, set in stone. But I do have, I mean, because I was very, I'm still very like tied to it. Like that was my baby. Like that's what started this whole entrepreneurial path. But with, I'm still in the beauty space, so I can go into hair. I can go into personal care. You know what I'm saying? But people need to know who we are and feel confident that, you know, we're not just some fly-by-the-night company. That's great feedback. And I appreciate your perspective on the fact that, right, because you did one thing and now you're doing another, you can't incorporate that other thing again in the future. I think that that's, you know, a great perspective. And keeping an open mind is probably... Uh, very, very important, right? As an entrepreneur, as things change. So Glenn, I'm now going to change the, the frame of the conversation a little bit. And I want to talk about stakeholders. I know you work with a variety of stakeholders, right? You even incorporate some shareholders. Um, you know, how did you incorporate these individuals in making the decision to change the business to face shields when, when you needed to many months yeah, ago? Yeah, thanks. Um, the, uh, the, our sh internal shareholders were all you know, bought into to what we needed to do. So, so that was great. And, uh, and I saw people doing, I, I, you know, being new to the company, I, I saw them in a different light in, in how effective they were. 
it made me closer. You know, it's the smallest company. We have about 70 employees and uh, it was, it was fantastic. Um, but I didn't incorporate our shareholders in the decision. It was critical to move fast and create a solution. So involving them would just have slowed us down. This, you know, I've been involved with boards of directors before and they've got to talk about it and they have to take a couple of days and have to meet again and they have to have lunch and they have to do all that stuff. You know, I didn't want that. They didn't hire me to ask them permission to do something. They hired me to lead, create sales opportunity to drive revenue. And in this case, we made prototypes, started selling them. Then we informed them of what we were doing. And they're basically like, um, I call it the holy shit moment. Holy shit, what'd you guys do? This is this is incredible, right? So um, it could have been bad, but you know, my experience, I have to go with my heart and where we go and, and understand all the factors. So uh, that that's how uh, that came about. Right, and I appreciate your perspective on having internal support, right? I think it's very, very important that the employees that you lead, right, as the leader of your company are with you, are behind you and kind of understand the mission. And it's, you know, also good to know that occasionally you don't ask for permission, right? And you do what you need to do. I ask for forgiveness later, but occasionally it works out, right? Nice. And everybody's happy. <laughs> exactly. So, Yawande, I now want to go a little bit back to this branding, right? And just understanding your organization, uh, you know, as a unique organization in the marketplace, in a marketplace that's very saturated, right? I know that you recently rebranded. It looks great. Um, I know because I order. How important was the rebrand in pivoting your business and kind of establishing your brand in this marketplace? So, skincare, I mean, if you, you know, most like the formulas, I would say that there's, probably 10 main manufacturers and they all are selling to <laughs> the top companies that you use. So there's not really much differentiation within the, of the formulas. It's really a lot of it's marketing. And for me, being someone that's new into skincare and being about intentional in not wanting to make my community of women feel bad, feel that they're lacking anything, like that was very much something that I wanted to bring that it's not you're not lacking anything and that this product is not going to fill a void this product is just going to enhance you know an experience so me and my boyfriend we broke up and you know he was he was my muse he was the inspiration behind the product and you know they say that you when things happen the best thing to do is get into work right so i just kept doing pop-up shops and connecting with women in the community. And the funny thing was, they would ask me, how did you do this? Like, what happened? And I'm like, oh, you know, it was for my boyfriend. And they're like, what? You're not together anymore? I'm like, no. And they're like, well, that's at least you kept the business or like, you know, just. So then I started thinking about, I went through like a discovery period, like very much, you know, like a moment of clarity, self, self-care, et cetera. And I'm like, how can, you know, we make this a self-care moment and actually turn this thing on its ear where it's not just buy this product, do this, et cetera, and, and, and making fun of the breakup. So in one of my, the body butter has um, mango body, mango butter. So it's called let that mango um, body butter. It's kind of like a joke. Um, this, this body scrub is called no scrubs kind of off of the TLC song. The, the spray is called X factor. So really, and people would just laugh, like, you know, they're like, oh, that's funny, you know, and just get a, a, a cork out of it. So the other thing was that I'm adding in just the self-care portion of it. So journals, things of that nature. So it's a complete experience of like, just not just um, skincare, but actually self-care because 
we care about all of you, not just your skin, you know, that will just be enhanced based on what you're putting into your body and, and, and how you're taking care of yourself. So that was a, that was the rebranding. And I had to look at colors. I had to look at, and I spoke to my mentors about that. It does this, uh, there was two, I think one or two locals that we scrapped because it wasn't, you know, they kept me accountable. I would have moved in the wrong direction. And they're like, nope, that's not really giving me what you're saying. Right. So that was the uh, experience. That's great. I, I appreciate your self-care mission at this moment. I think it's very, very important, especially in these times, you know, to keep up with your self-care. So very much appreciated. And I appreciate that you bring up mentors again, you know, to your point, it's very, very important to have people in your life, right? Kind of in your business life, especially who are one, holding you accountable as an entrepreneur, because it can be lonely. Yes. And two, providing that feedback and perspective, right? That you don't necessarily have uh, yet and or you know you're entering into territory that is not your forte such as marketing so very much appreciate all of that my question my last question to you too is how did you manage kind of understanding the impact of your change and the potential risk of failure did you have any concerns that almost kept you from pivoting in the first place and what finally pushed you to pivot so glenn i'm going to start with you because you're unmuted okay you know, there were no concerns that would have kept us from pivoting. And we finally pivoted for the specific purpose of saving 70 jobs and keeping our company out of bankruptcy. Uh, we, we, have, we have a manufacturing facility about 20, 20 miles from our corporate offices in Providence. And, um, you know, what, what we did was we kind of kept the corporate office personnel out of the loop. Um, we needed them to focus on our normal day-to-day -day business. Um, didn't want them to get worried about what was happening because, you know, all of a sudden their eyes off the ball and maybe thinking about leaving, although there wasn't, you really couldn't go anywhere at that point in time. You know, we, we kept obviously the manufacturing people in the loop. So um, that that's how we basically managed the change. And, uh, and, and really, you know, potential risk of failure, I think that was part of the question too, is Failure was not an option. So it's, it, you know, it, it motivates you, inspires you. And, you know, we had so many great ideas flowing to the point where we had to, you know, shrink them down. So we, instead of the shotgun approach, the rifle approach, and, uh, and we just made sure we spent enough time on all of those key ideas. So that's, that's how we handled it. So for me, it was just, it was less of an investment. So actually like the skincare, so just the, the, the cost of goods for the skincare was, was way cheaper than the cost of goods for the, for the human hair extensions. Um, and the profit margin was higher. So for me, it was just, I really didn't have anything to lose besides the fact that I had this tight grip you know, you know, on the fact that I was attached to the hair extensions. Now that's not actually true because I had inventory of the hair extensions. So I had to figure out how to get rid of the inventory without confusing my customer and do it in a way that was like, I, I at least, I at least broke even. So I had to go on, you know, I had to go on Craigslist. I had to contact some people in salons to offload the inventory that way. So that was the biggest thing. For me, as far as like a risk uh, was just getting rid of the inventory. Uh, and then also the fact that I had to now rebrand, which paying for the marketing was some, you know, paying for the new logo, et cetera. What else kept me from pivoting? That was mainly it. I felt like I was, I, I, in my mind, I believed I was making 
some traction with the hair extensions, but really I was just so tied to it. <laughs> and um, what finally pushed me to pivot was, like I said earlier, my sisters, and they're like, listen to your customers. And while I was in the field, like pop doing pop-up shops, my customers would give me feedback right on the spot or they, they're the ones who actually gave me recommendation for my second hero product. They're like, why don't you have a scrub? And I kept hearing that. So then I made the scrub. So it was just, you know, being in the field and getting that direct feedback and just hearing people just excited about it and reordering, it was just a bonus.